Regulations are non-negotiable for any product which is going to be used in a safe and effective way in healthcare and life sciences. But doesn't this mean that healthcare is always using yesterday's technology? Is it just other industries that get to play with the new toys? Or is there a way for healthcare and life sciences to have their cake and eat it? Hello and welcome to The Evidence Space, a podcast from the Institution of Engineering and Technology, which presents conversations with leaders from health, care and life sciences. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Bannister, and in this episode, I'm delighted to welcome back Eleonora Harwich and Claudia Martinez from the policy think tank Reform. Ellie, Claudia, let's pick up the conversation where we left off last time. Claudia, in addition to the work that you've done in terms of landscaping, Where else have you seen that manufacturers should be looking for advice and guidance on how to follow the rules and which rules to follow? Mm, So when it comes to the regulators, all of them will have updated guidance on their websites. Um, And when I said earlier that um, usually you would have to engage with five regulators, that would be the MHRA, uh, the Health Research Authority, the Information Commissioner's Office, the Care Quality Commission that actually ensures that the delivery of the care meets uh, certain standards. And finally, the the GMC, the General General Medical Council. Uh, So yeah, as you can see, it's quite a lot of information to go through. And then on top of that, uh, if you're looking at commissioning, you might need to engage with uh, NICE, the National Institute for Care Excellence. They publish the evidence standards, which help you understand the type of evidence that you need to provide if you want to get commissioned by the NHS. You might get in touch with the academic health and science networks. Uh, The Department for Health and Social Care has their own code of conduct for data-driven technologies, other professional bodies. So there's, there's a lot. I don't know, Ellie, whether you can think about others um, um, so I'd say if you want to do it for free um, and you want to do it, that means that you're going to have to do it yourself. And that's going to be a lot of hard work figuring out what it is that you exactly need to do. Um, I would say of all of the regulators that Claudia mentioned, I think the kind of more imp- like, God, I don't want to say that the other regulators are not important, but the ones that will play a kind of bigger role in, in what you want to do. Um, will definitely be the Health Research Authority uh, and the MHRA. There's a kind of two main ones that you will definitely have to focus on. Um, The other ones might help you think, to be quite honest, so say, for example, um, potentially interacting with the GMC might help you uh, understand, for example, if you're, I don't know, developing a clinical support tool, you might want to have a bit more of an understanding of, you know, the kind of, I guess, general processes or guidances that doctors have so that you might be able to kind of speak their language better, if that makes sense. So in that sense, like it would be important to to kind of um, engage with them. Um, However, if you have received a lot of funding uh, and have money to spare, uh, then you can pay for this advice. And there are a hell of a lot of consultancies that have developed to, because obviously it's a, it's a, Basically, I think a lot of companies are uh, flourishing on the fact that it is not a straightforward process. Um, and because it's not a straightforward process, there's a lot of money to be made in it. Um, and so there are, again, a lot of consultancies that offer um, services to help you all the way through uh, from kind of, you know, your 
a basic idea all the way through to 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 kind of um, CE marking and and post market surveillance and so on. Yeah, exactly. There's there's already a bit of discussion around having that single front door and sort of regulators working together to make the process a bit more streamlined. And I think I think that would be a huge help. So basically a portal that where you can go in, you enter your sort of the specifics of your product and what you want to do with it. And then it takes you through the pathway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not that easy to, no. to achieve, but that, that would be fantastic. And that's, that's what innovators today need if you want to bypass that whole sort of thing of having to pay for it yourself. I mean, to me, that kind of resource sounds really attractive. What I find really interesting about your collective perspective on this is that neither of you are healthcare regulators or healthcare manufacturers. So you've come in with an ability to observe how both those groups actually interact together. I mean, drawing on my personal experience, having worked as a manufacturer in this space, is that if you go to the regulator, then unlikely to give you advice as to which standards you need to follow and how to meet them, because they're there to be impartial to judge whether or not you've actually met the standards and whether you own that compliance. Um, and that's different, but also unhelpful, I guess, uh, from a manufacturer were you to go to a competitor because they've done a lot of work to meet the standards and why would they just give that information up for, for nothing? So coming back to you, Claudia, you were saying that manufacturers need to understand at the outset the specific intended use of their device. And without being clear on that, it's very hard to then move forwards to do research, maybe desk-based research to work out which regulations apply, or indeed to talk to some of these organizations to get sensible answers and recommendations to allow you to move forwards in terms of understanding what standards you've got to meet, what regulations apply, and indeed what policies you might need to follow as well. So I think this is overall, it's a really interesting perspective in terms of how someone new to the healthcare, the health and life sciences space, from a general technology background, might start to take it on and make a contribution. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I, I, I'm just gonna throw this in here is that when we were doing the project, uh, I was really, I found it sort of sort of super interesting, the fact that um, many of the issues are not about the regulation itself. Sometimes it's about people not knowing where to find the information. It's about innovators not knowing where to go. And as I told you before, we looked at the whole sort of pathway and many of the problems actually happen at the first stages when you have to think about your intended use, when you have to access data. Uh, and I know this is one of Ellie's uh, sort of favorite topics, uh, data access and, and all of that. But, but I guess some of the problems that we find there is that people are not really sort of able to identify what is their legal basis for processing the data? There's a lack of visibility in terms of the data that is held by health and care organizations and the quality of the data, which means that if you're developing, say, a machine learning algorithm and you need to access that data, you don't have the tools that you need, which also may slow down the process. Um, and I, I don't know about you, Ellie, but I think that's, that's one of the areas where sort of more attention is needed in order to make the process a bit more, to make it clearer and easier to navigate. So in saying that, you identified a couple of key challenges. Number one is actually the work that the manufacturer needs to do. Firstly, fully describing the intended use of their device, allowing them to identify the rules that apply, and then the compliance that needs to follow to show that the, the rules have been met. Number two, you also talked 
more specifically about digital health technologies, which of course rely on data to both to train them for things like machine learning, um, but also in application where there are very specific challenges around how that data is regulated and how the performance of the algorithms themselves are regulated. As you went through, were there any other areas that struck you as consistent challenges to innovators looking to contribute in this space? I think from like the policy side, things are moving, definitely. And I think, you know, having having uh, the, the app man as as the Secretary of State for Health uh, obviously does kind of gear that that direction into yeah. the into you know kind of supporting the use of, of of digital tools in health you know there there have been kind of policy changes with the creation for example of the ai lab within nhsx which was genuinely set up to kind of streamline the the development and and deployment um of artificial intelligence in the nhs and to enable faster adoption of of uh those types of technologies at scale i just um yeah i, I you know i think like anything when when you kind of start seeing things change in the policy landscape. I think I think potentially we're slightly too early to kind of see what the impact of those policy changes are really going to be on, on the landscape. Because I think, I don't know, I, I think that ultimately there, there are a lot of trials of these technologies and a lot of, I of, um, can't remember who it was that I had heard say that there were, you know, at any point in time in the NHS, there were like X, thousand amount of trials going on to try some sort of like digital health app or like something um but ultimately the kind of big issue is is scaling right and uh and i'm not sure that we have really found yet a solution to that um to the problem of of kind of scale which has to do potentially a tiny bit more with i mean i guess not only the kind of regulatory process itself really but with again, I guess the kind of commissioning process and then potentially the kind of behaviors and attitudes of people of thinking, well, you know, if this, you know, uh, kind of device was tested on this population in this area, well, it can absolutely not work on, on ours. And that, that kind of mentality of, of almost having to start from scratch every time. Yeah. Um, and I think, to be honest, in that debate around scale also plays in um, the kind of lack of of a kind of good data infrastructure in the nhs makes it quite difficult to be able to scale as well because you know even if you try to design some sort of prod product that would be a kind of off the shelf could work anywhere i think there would still be quite a lot of work especially if it's a kind of data driven product uh, for you to understand you know what's the data model that is used in this specific place and is my product actually going to really be able to just simply plug into the system, you know, more often than not, it's actually not going to happen in, in a smooth way. Um, and there's going to be quite a lot of work involved in, in, in you being able to actually tweak. Yeah, um, I think, I think, sorry. Um, I think the point that you, that you raise on kind of the lack of scalability within the NHS is one of the biggest frustrations for innovators that actually have a really good product, but they, they find themselves sort of facing the challenge of having to navigate a very complicated set of rules, but then at the same time, sort of unable to sort of replicate the model, which is, yeah, I mean, if you go to trust A and then to trust B, then you might have to start from scratch, which can be quite disheartening, I think. 
but I completely agree in terms of sort of the policy landscape is moving. The regulatory landscape is also evolving. When I was talking earlier about that project between the MHRA and NHS Digital for synthetic data, that's part of um, the regulatory sandbox model that is being sort of implemented in the UK. It's not the only one. The ICO also has one. I think the Care Quality Commission also has one. Um, the ICO, for example, has been doing a lot of work thinking about sort of the explainability of algorithms. So basically making sure that you can, yeah, sort of walk someone through the different steps that the algorithm made in order to reach a decision. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a slow process and you need to have everything in place, right? You need to have good regulation. You need to have the data infrastructure. You need to have all of those building blocks, if you will, if you want to have a well-functioning system. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I don't know. So it sounds like there are frameworks and guidance out there which can give some practical instruction to manufacturers in terms of evidence gathering, which they then use to show that their device does satisfy the regulations that are in place today. I'm sure the listeners would like to understand more about the relationship between policy and regulation, which we touched on earlier, and what that then means in practice. So you mentioned that in the UK, the government leaders in the healthcare space are very enthusiastic about the adoption of digital health and apps, naturally given the potential upsides, they're quite cost effective, if nothing else, as well as the other positive outcomes. And that enthusiasm has driven changes and updates to policy. But I found it interesting that you used the word evolution. So the idea is that even though there's this rapid change in direction and policy, it takes a while because it's a complex and rigorous field for the regulation to change and catch up if that's the right word so given this delay between the different stages of first enthusiasm and then acceptance i wonder what your thoughts are about how this sits within healthcare with with software and artificial intelligence coming into healthcare from in many cases less regulated markets disruptive markets so the ones where break early and often and your customers your beta testers are quite acceptable phrases coming into healthcare where and life sciences, where quite honestly, the word disruptive is almost a dirty word. You can't be disrupting someone's health. Surely you should be doing it in a very rigorous and principled way. So how do you get the best of both worlds? How do you benefit from those technologies within this rigorous framework and manage that tension to allow the regulations to fit around the potential of the technology? Oh, I think that's an irreconcilable tension, to be quite mm. honest. And in a way, it almost, it almost works like a... How can I say this? It, it almost is like a kind of <laughs> perfectly balanced system in a way, because you will always have the kind of, I mean, I, I don't know how to, to, to make it kind of too stereotypical, but the kind of, you know, tech cowboys were like, we don't care, let's just break stuff and let's innovate, which then move the kind of pendulum to this side. And then everyone's like, oh, no, 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 no. And then you kind of, you know, slowly have that kind of movement. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just think that that to me is is like almost like a sort of slight natural order of things, if that makes sense, that you will you will always have, you know, some people who genuinely don't, you know, don't or maybe don't care that much to innovate safely, or maybe they do, but they just have a completely different view of what that is, that kind of, you know, move the debate forward in quite an extreme way, which means that everyone kind of eventually catches up to kind of more, more middle ground. Um, yeah. 
but I, 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 you know, ultimately, you know, could could we innovate as fast? Sorry, could we regulate as fast as the pace pace of innovation? I, I find that hard to to imagine a world where that would be possible just because you need a bit of hindsight to be able to kind of make sense of things and how you're how you're going to be. I don't know, yeah, safely regulating things. And I think, you know, there, as Claudia mentioned, there are some kind of interesting models happening right now with the kind of regulatory sandboxes, which allow a kind of safe space of, okay, let's regulator right. and yeah. innovator kind of work together and see how we might work out some of these rules or kind of gray areas um, where currently we just feel that there is, is not that much clarity and you won't be sanctioned for innovating in, in this very specific space. Yeah, I think I think uh, what's interesting about the regulatory sandbox model and other models is that it, it, it kind of enables that dialogue between the regulator and the innovator. And by doing that, you can understand sort of the challenges, the kinds of things that they're actually trying to develop and, and, and the problems that they face. Uh, but again, I think we come back to the question around scalability. Obviously those models are sort of emerging. I mean, the regulatory sandbox, as you say, for the ICO has just published a couple of things and we will see more coming out of it. I think it's about how do you incorporate that into the regulation in a way that is sort of agile enough and I agree, it's it's difficult. It's, it's hard because at the end of the day, for a regulator, the main the main I would say concern is to ensure that you're delivering, as you say, Peter, sort of safe services, effective services, that you're safeguarding patients' uh, well-being. So, yeah, it's a tricky topic. Now, look, as as we're talking about change, it'd be remiss not to talk about the current situation we find ourselves in. So I'd like to hear your observations on how global health crises such as COVID impact policy and regulation of these sorts of innovations. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I'm, I'm actually quite interested in this topic just because uh, with COVID we've seen regulatory bodies like the MHRA and and others um, across the world introducing different exemptions um, just to enable sort of. Um, speedy access to data, streamlining clinical trials, making sure that products that have high potential and could help with the pandemic actually make it to the market. That was great. So, so I think on this point about how regulations are being impacted by COVID, we're hearing that there are changes that have been made and it'll be interesting to see how many of those changes are carried through in the longer term. But it's demonstrated that overall there's an, uh, the ability to adapt and a willingness to discuss from the regulator's side and, and come together to solve pressing healthcare problems rather than holding in a position and expecting everyone else, you know, industry stakeholders to adapt and, 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 and if you like, do all the work. And so if anything, it's given manufacturers an insight into the fact that the regulators are clearly as committed to driving forward the standard of care while maintaining safety and performance um, as you could, really could expect them to be. I think things have, have changed quite a lot, actually, because I remember when I... Um, when I had done that project that I was mentioning at the very beginning um, on the applications of artificial intelligence in the NHS, I remember a few conversations at the time, post-publication of the report, where people were literally highlighting from different regulators, we've literally never sat in a room together. Um, and that was about two and a half years ago. 
Um, and in two and a half years, obviously now they know each other, which is already something. They are having conversations and and they're and they and they have projects to work on in common um, because of you know different changes brought about by NHSX and so on. But but you do do see a kind of more concerted effort around it, which I think is quite promising. Eleanor, Claudia, that's been fascinating. We've covered so much, but we're out of time. So I'd just like to thank you both so much for being on on, on today's episode. Uh, thank you, Peter and the IET for inviting us. Thank you so much. It was lovely being here. On this latest episode of The Evidence Space, we've talked more about the role that the regulations play in the development of new technologies for health, care and life sciences. There's always going to be a lag between the potential offered by the latest, greatest technology and the evidence that the industry needs to produce to show its safe and principled use on patients. For example, technologies such as digital apps and machine learning have shown a lot of promise based on their early success in other less regulated industries such as social media. So how can we reconcile the potential offered by new technologies while bringing to bear the rigour and safety that the regulations give us? Well, the answer, it would seem, is through open and transparent collaboration between manufacturers and the regulators to understand the true potential of new technologies and to understand how the regulations need to be interpreted and in some cases adapted to take account this new potential. COVID in particular has shown a real pragmatism from the regulator in moving quickly to understand the pressing needs brought on by the development of new vaccines and other global healthcare challenges. And the hope is that we can continue this open and collaborative approach well beyond the current epidemic so that the benefits potentially offered by new technologies can be seen by the patient. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Evidence Space. If you've got any feedback or comments, for example, suggestions for guests or topics for future episodes, please get in touch with us. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.